Do you hear the voice of God? The movie Harriet provides a good foundation for a discussion on slavery from both a historical and spiritual perspective. Are you just watching? Episode 98, Harriet. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're going to go back in time a little bit with this movie, or I guess it's more like a fictional version of back in time. Well, everything I read suggests that some stuff is fictionalized, but it's accurate in as much as the story it tells. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of truth in it, and I think there's some fiction in it as well. So it's, I think yeah. it's a nice balance. We didn't go to see a documentary. We went to see a movie. It's a right, biopic. Right. So exactly. it's not as accurate as a documentary would be, but it was more entertaining than a documentary. So I think that it is the best of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, there are entertaining documentaries out there. We don't want to imply that there aren't. Yes, yes, yes. This movie was, I thought, a pretty good movie. It uh, is actually fairly clean. So I think that there would be a, a perspective where you could take maybe school-aged children to go see this to kind of open up a level of discussion on, you know, the history of slavery in the United States and and other aspects of the story. Uh, I think it's safe to take kids to because they kept the violence down. There was a teensy bit of language that plugged in online found, but I didn't notice it. And there's really no sexual content. There's a, you know, some... Mm-hmm states of undress for Harriet, but uh, other than that, nothing that's so horrible that you couldn't have kids in the room to see, basically. Harriet's rated PG-13, which coming out of, uh, I was a little surprised because there are much worse PG-13 movies out there. Oh, yeah. uh, As far as content, much, much. It's. I think this probably could easily have gotten a PG, if not even, maybe even a G, except for the the difficult content of it well there there was violence in it and there was some language in it and i don't i think a g would be a major stretch but a pg maybe i could see a pg yeah but pg-13 is is a good safe rating for it and i think that you could very Mm. well take school-aged children to see this movie Uh, obviously really young kids would not be interested in it but it would be a, a good discussion starter from an educational standpoint for school-aged children. In fact, I, I was talking to some people at work about this, and they said they'd actually seen whole classes of kids coming out of the theater, and they thought that they'd gone to see Harriet. So I could see you know, mm-hmm. it being a classroom exercise to see this movie. The music was by another new composer that I've never heard of. It's uh, his name. I'm assuming it's a him, Terrence Blanchard. Is very atmospheric, and there were when you kind of listen to it as kind of almost parts of it that felt very modern, which doesn't really fit really well with the historical nature of the movie. But I thought it felt it fit the movie fairly well. And there's nothing like really grand about it. It's more of background. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd really, yeah, really, it's... really love the spirituals. You know the 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 singing. <laughs> in, in the, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the 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 way they use the spirituals in particular, which also tied into the true history of uh, Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, definitely. Very well done. Mm-hmm. Now, let me play a little bit of the music here, just so you can get a taste of it. 
can see the music is very just atmospheric. There's really nothing grand about it. But it is, it, I mean, it fit the movie for the most part. Speaking of the spirituals, uh, I when I was watching some of the more documentary nature uh, videos that I could find on Harriet Tubman, they made the comment that this the slaves in the South actually used their spirituals to communicate. They were codes. So they would actually... Uh, sing a song about, you know, a meeting in the forest, and that would be indicating what time the slaves would, would uh, leave their homes in the middle of the night to go have a praise service in the, in the fields away from the, the plantation houses. And they would, they would actually pass code to each other by singing in the fields as to when they were going to meet or, Mm. and it was very interesting to find out that, you know, all these spirituals that have made it, you know, into our uh, hymnologies of, modern era, a lot of them were actually coded uh, messages to each other. Yeah. And that's what Harriet Tubman used it for, because she would often uh, sing to draw the the slaves to her when she was a conductor on the Underground Railroad. Yeah, we, we should probably say that uh, even though this is a first impression, mm-hmm. uh, there will not be a no-spoiler section, since this is the life and times of a an actual <laughs> historical, historical person. person. Yeah. <laughs> So, sorry, but 150 years is long enough for you to have uh, have gotten spoilers. Yes. Yes, we're not going to worry about those. And uh, to be honest, we really highly recommend that if you're going to see this movie, to, to, to educate yourself on Harriet, to not just watch the movie, but uh, check out some of the stuff on YouTube, um, some of the articles that have been put out. And we'll put some links in our show notes to kind of guide you in some of that. I also mm-hmm. found the, a documentary that's available for free on Amazon Prime, if you're an Amazon Prime member, called Harriet Tubman, They Called Her Moses, uh, which was I found very informative, and it goes through her whole life. With historical movies, I always like to go back and see, you know, what uh, anachronisms it may have, or how they might have modified history in mm-hmm. order to tell the dramatic story. And for the most part, aside from the very last scene, they did a really, really good job. Well, several of the characters are are fictionalized. Uh, Fictional, yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're they're um, what is it called when they take composites? <laughs> composites. Thank yes. you. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, they composited some of the characters to try to give to give uh, flesh out people that might have been in Harriet's life, but they. that they may have not been a specific person and they kind of wrapped them all together into one person and had that person appear in a fictional. Mm -hmm. Uh, The biggest one I think is uh, what was her name? Marie. Marie from the, from the boarding house. Yeah. Marie in the Phil, in the Philadelphia boarding house. She was a completely fictional character, but they needed her in there to kind of, uh, I guess, be a friend to Harriet when, and help her to learn how to be a free a free person yeah. after escaping slavery. So, yeah. And you know, I, I don't really have a problem with composite characters like that because mm-hmm. they, you're compressing so much time into two hours. Yes. You really have to be able to communicate certain aspects well. And they did a good job with Marie and the other big composite in this one is Gideon. Yes. Um, the, the slave owner's son. Well, son slash slave owner himself. Yes who also served a very specific purpose in the movie. Right. And this kind of love-hate, almost intimate relationship that, that from all historical that that I could find didn't really exist. So 
they they kind mm-hmm. of uh, built that in, I guess, to kind of create some kind of a relationship that between uh, Harriet and her master that may not have actually existed. Now, as we come into this, the movie's been out a couple weeks, I would say. I saw mm-hmm. it as a press preview, so it's been a while since I've seen the movie. And it's coming in as a, that the reviews are very mixed. Uh, when I was looking on the IMDb comments, I was finding that the people were either giving it five stars and raving about it, or they were giving one stars and just couldn't stand it. <laughs> and so they seem to be all the way on the extremes. There's very few people that just like the movie. They either hated it or they loved it. And uh, I think that's kind of true a lot of times when you're portraying a, a real person in a fictional environment is that people, they either want it to be truly historical and they get mad when it isn't, or they're just happy with it because it, it portrays a character that they want to know more about. And so they enjoy the the movie. Mm-hmm. So I think that that just kind of shows the, the different ways that people approach uh, biopics. I think they, uh, and this actually ties in to a little bit of my first impression. It's very easy to look at the the people who are giving it bad reviews and say, oh, well, you know, they have sociological pinnings or racist undertones that, that they don't want to like it or they're automatically going to disparage it. You, you remember like uh, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. how that movie was review bombed, I think is what it was called, in Rotten Tomatoes before it had even come out Mm -hmm. by people who wanted to review it poorly because of its star. But I don't think that's the case in the few negative reviews that I've read. It really did come down to, like you were saying, that they wanted the historical to be more historical, more accurate. Mm -hmm. They wanted more of her accomplishments stuffed into the the two-hour block which I think would have made it very crowded. Yeah. It was interesting because the I took a friend with me uh, to see the movie, and uh, she came out of the movie thinking that it was a movie she could recommend to people, but she felt like there was a major agenda in it, and the agenda t- turned her off, which surprised me because I didn't feel like this was an agenda movie. I, I know that there are some people who could turn it into an agenda because of, you know, the whole slavery and right and racism and all that stuff that's going on in our culture. But I really felt like the movie didn't ram home an agenda. And so they were just telling a story about a true person in as accurate a way as you could with a movie. I do believe there are other movies about Harriet Tubman's life. This is just one of many and I don't know, I haven't seen any of the others, so I don't know how this one stacks up against some of the others. But uh, I didn't really feel like it was agenda driven. But I could be wrong. I mean, of course, that is also kind of a, you know, a personal perspective, you know, where it hits you between the eyes when you watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Did your friend share what she felt the agenda was? Uh, I think that she thought it was uh, another of a, a kind of the women's lib kind of thing, you know, where women are powerful uh, and, hmm. and I can see a little bit of that, but it, to be honest, this was a super strong woman who lived in an era where she was not free. So I, I really felt like that they were portraying her strength of character in an accurate way. So it didn't bug me, but you know, we're getting so hypersensitive to this kind of stuff now that I don't know. Yeah. Actually, that hypersensitive 
nature is what made me uncomfortable with this movie. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. This movie, I thought, was well done. I think that Cynthia Erivo did a excellent an excellent job as uh, Minty slash Harriet. Uh, I think, honestly, I think all the actors in here did a great job. I think the director did a great job putting together a very compelling story. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> I come to the movie with baggage. I am a white male Protestant entitled <laughs> individual. At least that's what society has been beating into my head for the last couple decades. And, you know, with, with all this sensitivity about Confederate monuments and going after historical figures simply because they own slaves or and stuff like that. I felt a little bit like I was being asked in the movie to atone for the sins of my forefathers. Hmm. Which may or may not be accurate. Um, and I think that's where that cultural sensitivity comes into play. Uh, I, I feel like the emphasis in society recently on being woke and uh, recognizing entitlement and turning away from people who were heroes of the Confederacy or even founding fathers simply because they own slaves, I think that's made me more sensitive to what I might feel like is blame being directed at, at my social class. Yeah. But like I said, it's it's probably not even accurate. Yeah, I honestly don't think that this movie does that. And the reason I don't think it does that is because it shows in the movie how many white people were on the side of the abolitionists. You know, the mm-hmm. the Underground Railroad would never have existed or been successful if it weren't for all of the white Americans who thought slavery was horribly evil and they risked themselves and their property a lot of times if if they had been caught harboring fugitive slaves they would have been sent to jail they would have lost a lot of their they would have been forced to pay fines and lost their well-being i mean there were tons of people uh in the south and throughout the north who were risking a lot to help fugitive slaves and this movie shows them you know like the the family Mm -hmm. with the farm that helped harriet and and then later on help harriet as (laughs) Further on with more slaves yeah. and, you know, fugitive slaves. And they did it with all without any lines, which I really liked. <laughs> and they just, they kept pointing it out. And even, you know, near the end where they were, after the fugitive slave bill was passed and, and she was meeting with a bunch of, you know, white people about, you know, how do we keep rescuing slaves and how far do we have to take them? It was, she was one of very few black people in that room. It was almost all white people who were discussing how they were going to keep the the rescuing of the slaves going and so yeah i honestly feel like they went out of their way to show that this was not a racial thing that there were just people who believed slavery was wrong and they were willing to risk risk it all Mm -hmm. and and there was a lot of discussion towards the end obviously where they were coming to the conclusion that a civil war was going to be necessary to stop slavery and i thought that was interesting that you know that it was a discussion it was like we we this country cannot abide this evil and we can't deal with it the right way. And so it's going to end up being a civil war. They were discussing that. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's one of the hard parts of doing a movie like that is because uh, the events that are depicted in this movie are over the course of, I want to say, 20 to 25 years Mm -hmm. from her initial escape all the way up through the Civil War. The yeah the the scene in the Civil War and it, it's always hard to give that sense of time in a movie, but actually the the Fugitive Slave Act was one of the things that was sort of rearranged in Harriet. Mm-hmm. They put it later in her life to add a certain amount of um, of tension and to add conflict. But in reality, the Fugitive Slave Act was passed almost uh, within months, I think, of her initial escape. So she had been occupying on the the Underground Railroad the entire time with the Fugitive Slave Act. There there wasn't that much time that she was getting folks only to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. She's having to run them all the way to to St. Catharines. So I'm just pointing out the stuff I didn't like because there's a lot less of that. (laughs) The other part of this movie that made me uncomfortable was how they took Harriet Tubman's strong faith and combined talk of her seizures and her reports that she spoke directly to God. And they, they turned it into, uh, they, they turned her into a prophet. They, they really, Created in the movie, they created a parallel with Moses. Well, uh, the real Moses. Well, that's the thing is, is that that if you when you read the documentaries, that's really what it was. I mean, that was the whole point of the documentary on Amazon, and they called her Moses. Is that was that's recorded? If, I do understand that, but Moses was fulfilling God's specific promise of rescuing the people out of his out of uh, Egypt mm-hmm. and bringing them back to the promised land. Harriet. Did was not fulfilling. No, I, a specific. I get what you're saying, but what I'm saying is that wasn't the film that did that. That was historical. That she was called Moses, and that she had visions of God and all of that. That's historical. The film didn't do that. Mm. So, okay, yes, the film pointed out that she had visions of God, but the film also made it very clear that they felt that the visions were genuine. Or at least the film presented it, them as genuine visions, where they gave her a, a sense of coming danger. And and I, I would say that that is historical, because that's what was written. I mean, I'm just saying that the, the film portrayed what was historical based on the mm. remembrances of Harriet and the other, I mean, all of the biopics I watched, I mean, the documentaries and stuff that I watched pointed that out, that she she recorded all of this stuff that, you know, she would have visions and that I'm just saying that the film didn't do this. It was, they were just representing what has been historically recorded about her. Okay. Uh, I, I can see why it makes you uncomfortable, but I don't think it was the film doing anything wrong. I think that was, they were portraying what is historically understood. In fact, if you read, uh, I was just reading this uh, in the Wikipedia. Of course, Wikipedia is not the catch all for all truth, (laughs) but Oh, it's, if it's there, it's true. <laughs> but they did say that that she broke her skull. At 13, yeah. Yeah, it says, after this incident, Tumman frequently experienced extremely painful headaches. She also began having seizures, falling unconscious, although she claimed to be aware of her surroundings. And then later on, it said that she claimed that 
that these was when she heard God's voice and that he talked to her and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. so these were claims that she made. And I, and I think that in, later on in our discussion, we're going to talk about, you know, whether they were genuine or not. Um, yeah. We may have differing views on that. But let's finish our first impressions before we delve into that. Okay. Um, well, it's I, I mentioned that I I really thought the portrayal of Tubman was very good. Mm-hmm. The uh, the actress did a, an excellent job presenting a woman who had to be incredibly, unbelievably strong to do what she did. I remember growing up in Michigan uh, as a teenager, there was actually an underground railroad house there that we did a field trip to. Mm-hmm. I don't think they ever claimed that that Harriet Tubman went through that one, but, uh, I tell you one thing, you live a lot closer to her route than I do. <laughs> they had the secret compartment under the floor and all mm-hmm. that. So seeing it all in use in the movie was very impactful. Mm-hmm. So the last thing was for me, and it's unfortunate because it was the very, one of the very last scenes of the movie. It shows how Harriet Tubman led this, uh, raid that rescued, I want to say, hundreds of of slaves. During the Civil War at the end, yeah. Yeah, during the Civil War, the the Comahi River raid, which did happen, and she was the guide. She was a, a commander in the raid, so all that was accurate. The part that bugged me was they showed... Three iron-sided ships... Yeah, they showed her and and all the soldiers in in rowboats, and in the background are these three Ironside ships, none of which existed at the time. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too when I saw the movie. I was like, "Wait a minute, what are those doing?" <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, and they were they were the Confederate ones. Yeah, they were the Monitor. They were the. Uh, the Merrimack, not the Monitor. They were the uh, Confederate ones. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> And it, that bugged me because, yeah, I, I know that you have to do a lot for drama and, and everything like that. They could have like at least that, gotten the I, number I, of, of ships right in the type of uh, ships. Yeah, <laughs> the kind of ships. Exactly. If it had just been a, the kind of ship that they fixed, I'd have been okay with it. Yeah, that was annoying. It's, Anachronisms. But besides that, I did like the movie, um, except for the uncomfortable parts for me. Yeah. Well, I thought that one of the things that I've seen bandied about is that they presented her in like a superhuman superhero kind of presentation, which we've been doing a lot of superhero movies this year. (laughs) And I thought it was really kind of nice to be able to, uh, you know, talk about the exploits of a real historical hero, whether Mm -hmm. or not the movie portrays everything about her in a more realistic standpoint or what was really real about her. Uh, the fact that we are actually going to talk about somebody who really did amazing things with their life and amazingly enough and p- covered quite well in this movie gave God the glory for most of that. And yeah. I really appreciate that they did not leave her faith out of the movie. It's so easy nowadays with faith being such a, a bad word really in our culture to have Mm. made the movie and and made her faith less than genuine or somehow something she believed in that wasn't real, but they actually played up her faith. And I I appreciate that because she 
in real life really did give God the glory for what she was able to accomplish with her life. It's sort of the the polar opposite or the flip side of the coin to what they did with um, Wrinkle in Time, mm-hmm. which which was a, a book that had good faith elements, though not you know necessarily theologically strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but they even not only did they remove those for the movie, but they perverted them into this multicultural. <laughs> balderdash yeah it was horrible and then presented it yeah they did a good job with with portraying a genuine faith and the the trust and and love that harriet tubman inspired among her peers on the underground railroad were both uh really well done yeah well let's move quickly into our themes because we don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about our initial reactions we want to get into the nitty gritty of this movie and uh, probably Mm. the biggest thing in this movie that's repeated over and over again is liberty or death. And this was the battle cry for the revolution. When our, when the Americans first decided to split off from England, they wanted to be free. They didn't want to be under a King. They wanted, they didn't want taxes. And, and you know, that was the whole don't tread on me. And then, uh, we come later on, and in fact, I've been listening to a lot of um, political commentary in the last week that's been discussing whether our founding fathers really built this country on slavery. Uh, ben Shapiro just this week did a uh, speech at one of the colleges with the Young Americans Foundation, in which that was the whole topic of his speech was, was America built on slavery or was it built on liberty? And he pointed out how everything that our founding documents and our founding fathers believed in was liberty. They had to make allowances for slavery because so many of the, there were so many slaves at the time of our founding, but there's a lot of indication that they were already trying to figure out how to abolish slavery, even from the beginning of our country. It just took a while to, to accomplish it. Yeah. And so our, our country was actually founded on liberty, but it took us a while to catch up. And and so we hear, you know, I want I'd rather live free or die. You know, I'd rather be free or die, liberty or death. It was repeated over and over again in this movie. And there was a phrase uh that she says actually near the end where she meets up with Gideon again towards the end of of uh, her time in the of being a conductor on the underground railroad mm-hmm. uh where she tells Gideon that she that God doesn't mean for people to own people. And um so yeah, it's it's like this obviously a movie about slavery and escaping slavery. But I I thought you had an interesting question you wrote in here is that were were a question to take his life to avoid being enslaved is it wrong? And I it draws to mind her jumping off the bridge. I don't think she was attempting right. suicide there. She was just No, no. No, no, she wasn't. She was trying to get away from them and the only way to get away from them was to jump into the river. I don't think that counts as taking your own life. I think that's just escaping. No. She, she, uh, her last words before going over the side, though, mm-hmm. were live free or die. Right. So, I mean, clearly she, she thought there was a possibility that it would be, a, you know, a fatal choice. Right. But the, the, while I had that scene in mind when I, when I penned this question, mm-hmm. it's, I do mean it more of a, a, a general thing because, Let's face it, the the plight of the American slave 
in the uh, the late 18th century and and uh, early 19th century was horrific. Yeah, and it's not hard to sympathize with the the desire to die rather than continue to face that horrific um, existence. Yeah, but even in that. I question, you know, is it still wrong? Is it still sinful? To escape? Uh, no, no, no. To, to, to take your, to die rather than be enslaved. There's not really a scene in the movie, but I, I can't imagine that there weren't slaves who didn't take their own life rather than be captured, recaptured rather. Because really being recaptured after escaping would be a for a face worse than death, right? Uh, for most runaway slaves, yeah. A lot of times they were beat to an inch of their lives anyway, and the and yeah. sold in, in into worse conditions than they'd been in before. Yeah, it's mm. it, sla- slavery is not beautiful, and it's not especially the kind of slavery we had in the American South. It was the worst kind of slavery, and I can't, I can't even wrap my mind around what it would have been like to to have been in that in those situations and but yet and and I want to bring this up because this is something I think a lot of our cultural discussions nowadays does not bring into account is that slavery still exists we always talk about it in the past tense because we we think of slavery as being what it was in the American South where the black men were you know brought in and sold on the block, and it was legal to have them, and it was legal to chase them down if they ran away, and all this stuff. But slavery still exists in our country, and we have open, porous borders on the South where uh, women and children are being trafficked every single day into horrible conditions as sex, sex slavery and all kinds of other kinds of slavery. It still exists. It's not legal. But it still exists, mm-hmm. and it's not the same kind of slavery because the slavery that existed during the American South was state sponsored. Well, it was not only state sponsored, but it was evolutionarily sponsored. Let's put it that way. They believed, they really believed that because of uh, the pre- prominence of prominence of evolutionary thought, that the black man was a animal that he was not the same level as of human as the white man. And we know that's not true today. We're all the same human with just different shades of brown in our skin. But back then they really did believe this was Darwin was still a new idea. They believed in evolution. They believed that they were pulling these apes basically out of Africa and they were dumb animals. And that's what they believed. And so it was a totally different kind of slavery than we'd ever seen in the history of mankind because they weren't even treating them like men. They were treating them like animals. And some of them, they weren't even treating them like valuable animals because you wouldn't do that to a horse or a cow, you know, what they were doing to them. So this is a part of our history that is absolutely horrible because slavery wasn't like it was in the Old Testament where people would sell themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. They were still people. They were still mm-hmm. counted as people. They were still respected as people. Slavery was a completely different thing then. And that's why I wanted to bring this up because a lot of people think that slavery was condoned by the Bible because there's slavery in the Bible. And, and it says, and they actually use some of the New Testament references, you know, of 
that you are to obey your master and be obedient and all this kind of stuff. Uh, It says in, in history that Harriet took all of her faith from the Old Testament because she was so angry uh, that the New Testament kept telling her to obey her mat, her master and to be obedient. Mm. And so she was an Old Testament Christian, not a New Testament Christian, because the New Testament had been so sorely abused in trying to make all the slaves uh, behave and, and be obedient. I think that people, it's a misnomer when you, they look at slavery in the Bible, because it really was a completely different kind of slavery back then. It, for the most part, it was either captured people because of war. They were usually prisoners of war or they were uh, sold at, in because of debt. They were sold into slavery because of debt. And that was uh, a totally different kind of thing. But we are coming into our current culture where people are sold into slavery. They are simply stolen. A lot of them are kidnapped. A lot of right. them are uh, children are being just abducted and, and sold into slavery. People uh, coming up from... Uh, South America and the Central America are crossing into the United States thinking they're coming to a free and happy life, but they sell themselves to these coyotes to get across the border and they end up being sold into slavery. And it's a terrible condition and we should keep our eyes open to what it, not talk about it in the past tense, because even though we, it's illegal, we still have slavery today and we need to be aware of that. And yeah. I think that when we put our show notes together that we probably should do some shout outs to some of the ministries that exist today to help Oh, absolutely. help get women out of sex trafficking and that kind of stuff because it's yeah. good for us to keep in mind that that this movie is something historical that happened in the past but we still have these kind of struggles today. Back to um, to liberty or death. Mm-hmm. Not that it was a huge tangent, but a minor one. It was a tangent, but these questions still exist. Yeah, it was an important one. It's, well, these questions still exist. I mean, if you're yeah. talking about was it okay for Christian to kill themselves or to allow themselves to be killed or to you know take risks that would kill them, they had the potential of killing them to get out of slavery. Mm-hmm. That is a question that we have to ask ourselves because slavery still exists. And that was my, the point yeah. of my pan, tangent is that we I gotcha. we still have people today who have to face this decision. You know, women who are trapped in a sexual bondage that is horrific. I mean, how do they get out of that? Do they overdose on the drugs they're kept on? Do they slit their wrists? Do they? How do they get away? It's it's a hard question to answer. Yeah, one of the things that I that surprised me when I was uh, reading up on the historical Harriet Tubman Mm -hmm. and comparing her to the movie Harriet Tubman, uh, which of between which there were very few differences actually Mm -hmm. was when she was conducting escaped slaves from the South to the North, she made it very clear that she was willing to kill any slave who, Tried to turn back. Yeah, tried to turn back. Exactly. Um, in order to protect the slaves that were still going with her. I personally didn't find any evidence that she had ever done this. I couldn't find any evidence. She was usually convincing enough that they wouldn't turn back. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? If the if Harriet in the movie was anything like Harriet in real life, she would have convinced me. I'll tell you what. She was scary. <laughs> 
<laughs> For me, that also ties into the question of, <laughs> is she justified in protecting all these other people? And you get into some heavy philosophical questions like that. You you get into, um, you know, the old trolley question of philosophy. And it's one that I'm not prepared to answer. <laughs> Is it worth killing one person trying to, to go back in order to protect the, the eight who are still with you? Yeah. I wouldn't want to be in that position. Yeah. For me, it all goes back to the image of God and the value of human life which is far beyond that of any other life on the planet. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad I, I don't have to make that choice, I guess. Yeah. Well, and someday we may have to make a choice like that. I don't know what our future holds, but it is something that we probably should be thinking about. But I also think that as Christians, we do have guidance through the Holy Spirit. It's not like we go into this... Yeah. True. Um, completely on our own, and we have to make these decisions on our own. I think, as Harriet was, we are guided by God, and we have to be sensitive to what He wants us to do. And the fact that she was willing to make sacrifices and that she was, you know, willing to take the steps that was necessary to keep the slaves that she was conducting safe, you know, on their path to freedom, who are we to question what she was willing to do or? until we are in those yeah. circumstances ourselves. So I did want to talk briefly, you know, because since we're talking about slavery versus death, one of the biggest themes in scripture is, you know, our freedom from sin, our bondage to sin. But what's interesting is when we're, we're discussing a lot of the scripture in the New Testament, it's interesting that we leave one master to serve another. So it's never mm -hmm. uh, it's never put so much in the fact that we are completely free. It's that we change masters. And I thought it was very interesting that the apostles, and it, it all depends on how, what tra English translation you use, but the, the words that they were using whenever it's translated servant or bondservant, that word can also be translated slave. So like when James refers to himself at the beginning of his book, he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In some translations, you could actually translate that slave, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So, and it's it's a, it's the same word he uses in Philemon mm -hmm. uh, when he is talking about a man who was or is a slave at the time of the writing. Right. So we know that the words are all equivalent. Right. So when God frees us from sin, and in and in so doing. He owns our soul, basically. We become slaves of righteousness and slaves to God so that we can follow him because he has bought our debt. And so, and it's another instance of, you know, slave as, you know, that you have sold yourself to pay a debt. And so we have sold ourselves to God to, because he has paid our debt. And it's, it's an interesting connotation and a parallel. And I think that a lot of times we Christians, especially in the, in our liberty that we live in, in a free Western society, we tend to forget to have the mentality of a slave when it comes to, to God, yeah. the way we're supposed Good to point. be serving him. And we've, we actually have a very long list of scripture for this. section. <laughs> yeah. Very verbose scripture too. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow. Which, which one to start? Yeah. Which one to start with here? Well, I'll start with the, the last one because I think it's, it goes along with what I've just said. 
This is Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. It says, bond servants. Now, remember, that can also be slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye services, people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Once again, that's Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. And speaking, uh, another one that speaks to what I just said, uh, Romans six sixteen through 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you, mo- whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I think the opinion that I have settled on, um, at least at this point in time in, in my walk, is that your state, be it slave or free, is immaterial to your salvation. But you're speaking of of physical slavery at this point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spiritually, you will always be beholden to one master or the other, like you said. Mm -hmm. You will always be beholden either to sin or to Christ. And again, like you said, we need to always remember that frame of mind when it comes to doing our master's will. But I went back to 1 Corinthians seven twenty one and 22, where Paul says, uh, were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freeman, freedman of the Lord. Likewise, who is free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. So I feel like Paul is saying that the status change makes no difference here. You are still in Christ. Well, we know that because, you know, it was said that, uh, where was it? Uh, For in in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink one spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I mean, it's it's all, you know, that our, our physical status has nothing to do with whether we are saved or who we are in Christ. I definitely agree mm-hmm. with that. I didn't want to, you know, do the entire applicable scripture from Philemon uh, because it's the entire book. <laughs> Granted, the book is one chapter. Yeah. It It's a, for those who are not familiar with it, it's a letter written by Paul in his own hand to uh, the master of a slave had run away. Most scholars believe had run away and was captured and then served time in prison with Paul. And Paul lays out uh, an argument in this letter saying, look, I encourage you to set him free, but you are required to treat him as a brother. Right. Because you are both Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is sort of passive aggressive because you couldn't treat your brother... (laughs) (laughs) That's <laughs> a slave. Even in Roman law, your you, your brother could not be a slave in your house, uh, even if he sold himself into slavery. 
I, I feel like the everything tied together made it so that I don't really know how to put this in a way that doesn't sound callous. Being a slave doesn't matter in the eyes of the Lord any more than being a freedman does. I think it's interesting because when you're speaking from a scriptural standpoint, the slavery that existed in Roman times or even in the earlier times during when, you know, when Israel was enslaved to Egypt and that kind of stuff is a completely different kind of slavery than we typically mean when we talk about slavery in our modern culture. At the same time, when you think about it, and even in our free society, we are subject to masters because we take jobs and we work. We don't work for ourselves. Yeah. We work for masters. We have, well, at least I do. I have an employer and he is my master. Hmm. Uh, it's, <laughs> I voluntarily work for him, but he pays me and I work for him. And it's beholden me, to me from scripture that I am to uh, treat my master with respect and obedience and to do his will and uh, to be honest in my labor and all of those many things. It's like, and it's kind of interesting yeah. because in our culture today, we actually do sort of even sell ourselves for our debts because if you get a credit card and you overspend yeah. your credit card, you are, you know, you have to work off your debt, you know, then you could actually, yeah. you have indebted yourself and you have to work off and pay your debt. So it it may not be as harsh a slavery as, you know, actually selling yourself as a slave to work in someone's house, but you are still responsible for your debt. And that's one of the reasons why it's encouraged uh, for Christians, especially to live in debt-free lives, because in, in making ourselves indebted to the world, it puts us under the the mastery of the world. So we have to be careful yeah. uh, not to... Uh, incur debt that that puts us under the mastery of the world. What you point out reminds me of one of my one of I consider my core vor- verses, which is uh, Colossians three twenty three and twenty four. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Mm-hmm. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And in Matthew six twenty four, uh, it says, "No one can serve two masters; for either he will hate the one or love the other." or who will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. And I think that that's where a lot of us rich Christians, because we are very wealthy, especially those of us who live in Western culture, we are very wealthy and we are very comfortable. There was actually a scene in this movie where Harriet was chastising the white abolitionists for being too comfortable and that she was, you know, you guys have gotten too comfortable and this is going to be hard. You know, to get all of these slaves rescued, it's going to be hard. So, you know, set aside your comfort and be willing to take risks because, you know, that that's where we are is we can't be comfortable. We can't serve the wealth and the and the money and we got to serve. We can't serve that and serve God, too. Yeah. Uh, I just want to throw out this last scripture. First Peter 2, 13 through 20. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether... It be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only 
to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious saying, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Uh, and it really ties back to life is going to suck. <laughs> yeah. And enduring it with the grace of God and doing it while still honoring everyone, loving your brothers and sisters, fearing God, and honoring the government over you. Right is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And I think this kind of does away a little bit with our any reason we would have to want to have a victim mentality where we feel like we're put upon or abused or and then we whine about it and we carry on and we want reparations or whatever. And I'm not trying to say this is in in a mean way, but as Christians, we yeah. should not our focus should not be on ourselves. Our focus should be on God. And anything that we suffer and we undergo our learning experiences, not supposed to be things we complain about and worry about or be anxious about. We just leave it to God and like, and we endure because, you know, if we suffer and, and endure for doing good, then it's a gracious thing in the sight of God, you know. So mm-hmm. we just have to not dwell on a victim mentality, not let ourselves get wrapped up in, in how we've been wronged, basically. But lay that feeling of being wronged at the feet of God and just endure and and pass through it and uh, use it to glorify God, which is what Harriet did. I mean, she used it to glorify God. She and it's not just in this movie. It was in her real life. She constantly uh, gave God credit for everything. You know, God led me through, you know, the way God showed me the way God, you know, walked with me. I mean, she gave him tons of credit for all of the good that she did with her life. It was, she never took the glory for herself. She's a very humble person. Mm-hmm. And we need to remember that, that we we don't absorb the glory for ourselves. We pass it through to God because we do all of those things through him because he gives us the strength to do them. Which leads us to the next and final theme because there's a lot in this movie, but there were two things mainly that we wanted to talk about. And the second one uh, harkens back a little bit to what you were saying in your initial reaction uh, about hearing the God's voice. And it was something that uh, happened to Harriet a lot in the movie. And it it appears from the documentaries that I've watched and, and and articles that I've read that she really did believe that God directed her and her steps and led her to, to make certain decisions and go certain ways. And, I, I'm of the opinion of who am I to say that God didn't direct her and God <laughs> didn't speak to her because God does speak to us. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And uh, Harriet was an illiterate woman. She, she'd she never read the Bible in her entire life because she never learned to read. Uh, it was just not something mm-hmm. important in her life. Um, it was not something she was educated in when she was a slave and then when she was free sounds like she really just didn't have time to get an education because she was really busy. <laughs> she was always traveling. Yeah, she's always traveling, always uh, <laughs> risking her life to save people. It was just never something that she uh, took the time to do. So her understanding of scripture was what she learned in her Methodist church uh, and the stories that were told to her. She didn't read scripture for herself, 
but she heard the voice of God in her life. She was sensitive to the leading of the spirit in her life. And well, I know from scripture that such a thing does exist. I mean, we see it, we've seen it in scripture. There's, there's stories of it throughout scripture of God speaking to people, both in the old Testament and the new Testament. And so I'm, I'm not one to sit here and say that Harriet did not hear the voice of God, but it's obviously something that is open to discussion because we have a lot of people, uh, a lot of false teachers who claim to hear the voice of God. And so how, as a discerning Christian, can we tell the difference between the true voice of God and a false, uh, a false teacher who claims to hear the voice of God? Yeah. When I see somebody on TV who claims to hear the voice of God talking to him, my immediate thought is crackpot. (laughs) Let me take a step back here. This is where I'm, I'm coming from. I was raised being taught that miracles ceased with the death of the apostles. Uh, Actually, even before then, miracles ceased once God's revelation was complete. And I have only, as an adult, have I come to understand that that is (laughs) disputed, let's say. (laughs) And it is a very valid, very interesting theological argument between well-meaning people on both sides as to whether or not miracles still happen. Honestly, I'm on the side that the miracles of the Old Testament, or excuse me, the miracles of the New Testament, uh, specific stuff like like healing and speaking in tongues, uh, I don't think they happen anymore. But I am still confident that God can make it happen if he wants to. So that said, I'm also in the skeptic camp, which is not a good thing, and it's something that I struggle with. I have a lot of brothers and sisters at church who will always go to God first as the source of every good thing that happens, which is the right way to go. Because even if God didn't break natural law (laughs) for me to get that job, uh, it is still the direct will of God. And the sinful skeptic in me has to be I have to constantly fight it down and remind myself uh, that God's love is constantly working in my life. And when a person survives a fire or a person, (laughs) you know, on the other end of the spectrum, makes it to the gas station when they should have run out of gas 30 miles ago, that can all be a direct action of God. So unfortunately, I come into uh, Harriet's story with that level of skepticism Mm -hmm. and a very strong parallel for me is the story of joseph smith fortunate or unfortunate we do not have uh any specifics of of harry tubman tubman's visions to be able to test the spirit and compare against scripture we have her reports that it kept her out of danger i understand there in the movie there's a scene where she leads a group of slaves across a river, which looked for all intents and purposes to be too deep for them to cross. And I understand that that actually, uh, that scene is documented um, historically accurate. Yeah. But 
I compare her to Joseph Smith, who claimed the same conversations with God, you know, the same communication with God. And he turned around and wrote addition to scripture. And he ended up leading millions of people away from Christ who might otherwise have gone to Christ. And I would think, I would think that that's your answer right there because it says in Galatians 1, 8 through 9, but if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And I think that's that's mm-hmm. the difference here is Joseph Smith was a false teacher because he taught a gospel that is contrary to the gospel we have received. It's It's contrary to recorded scripture. And so therefore you can discount his revelation. It, he may have had an experience. It may not have been a good experience. He may have been divine. It, yeah. It could have been a demonic experience and uh, Satan often presents himself as an angel of light. So how are we to know whether the angel who spoke to Joseph Smith was, you know, the right angel? Well, we know because what he wrote down and what he recorded and what he used as his faith, his gospel from then on is contrary to scripture. So therefore we know that it was, it was a revelation that was not from God and Harriet herself never claimed uh, that she had received a gospel that was different. She was just sensitive to the spirit and leading her steps on a day-to-day basis or an hourly basis or whatever it is. And I think uh, looking at scripture that we can trust the spirit to guide our steps, that it isn't just a matter of, uh, uh, that we're blind and just stumbling through the dark, waiting for God to open or close doors. We can listen for his voice and know that we're doing the right thing. And I think a lot of times in our culture today, we're just so busy. We're so selfish and we're so self-entitled that we don't hear the voice of the spirit in our lives. And Harriet was a very simple woman. She she was very humble. She didn't have learning. She didn't have education. She didn't have her. She couldn't rely on herself. So she had to rely on the spirit. And I, I think mm-hmm. that her genuine faith is, is proof positive that when you trust on the spirit, when you have that, that real need for God to direct, he will direct. And and this is obviously something that we may disagree on, which is fine because it makes our discussions more interesting <laughs> sometimes when we disagree. But some of my favorite scripture is in First Thessalonians 5, and it's, it's a series of commandments given to the brethren. And this is obviously Paul as well speaking to the church of Thessalonica. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good, good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Mm. But test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. And I think we're good with some of that list, but we do quench the spirit a lot in our churches today, in our walk with the Lord. Uh, we let the world encroach in our lives, and, and we silence the, the voice of the spirit in our lives. And 
it's important that we not do that. Yeah, it's. I think I think I'm in that camp. It comes down to uh, but test everything, mm-hmm. and uh, it my default if I can't test it properly mm-hmm. is to dispute it, and uh, I think that probably results in quenching the spirit. You know, I was an analyst in the army. I'm in computers now. I'm a very, very logical, logically oriented mind. Right. Uh, I want cause and effect. I want A to equal B to equal C. And legalism is something that I, that I need to watch out for for that reason. Mm-hmm. In Dungeons and Dragons, you know, you can cast spells if you if you do this and you do this. Uh, and then you will have this impact on the world around you, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want, I, I don't ever want to fall into the trap that believing faith is something like yeah. that. Well, it isn't magic. Definitely isn't magic. Yeah. It, no, no. <laughs> but I, I don't want to cause and affect, uh, faith to, to ever slip into my belief. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is something that's dangerous when, when you tend towards legalism. It, for instance, you, you had mentioned uh, being led by the spirit. If, if we if we listen to what the spirit says, then I, I don't want to say then things will go well for us because that so, sounds very Joel Olsteenish. <laughs> but, but when when things go wrong, I don't want the temptation to look back and say, "Okay, where did I screw up? What did I do wrong that that caused?" God to allow things to go poorly for. Yeah, him. that's something that everybody struggles with. I mean, even uh, the apostles that yeah. questioned Jesus about that, you know, and he was like, "That there wasn't any sin that caused this wall to to fall on these people and kill them. It was just yeah, it it was a man that was blind, right? <laughs> um, was it his father's sin that caused this man to be right. blind? Yeah, we we have to be careful about the cause and effect, but I I really do feel like. We have to be careful also not to discount the voice of the spirit in our lives because we see, you know, the, the early church did amazing things and they did amazing things because God was so real to them that they could follow him. Take the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He was just walking along and the spirit said, hey, go over here. <laughs> and so he goes over here and he sees this chariot driving by and, he, and the spirit tells him, go talk to that guy, you know, and this is this yeah. is Acts 8. 26 through 39, just in case I'm paraphrasing and I'm not going to read the story, but, and then when there, he goes, he gets up in the chariot and he sees that the guy's reading scripture. And so he asks him if he knows what it means. And then he, he's able to preach the gospel to him. If he hadn't been sensitive to the leading of the spirit, he wouldn't have been in the right place at the right time to meet this guy and give him the gospel. And, and then the spirit literally carries Philip away when he's done. And, Mm -hmm. We discount miracles like that in our because we are so scientific these days. We just like, oh, God doesn't do that anymore. But he can. If we give him the chance in our lives, he can direct yeah. us to the to right place at the right time to talk to a person who is in the right state of heart to be led to, to the Lord through the gospel. But if we're not listening, if we're turning our backs on where God's gently you know, guiding us to be, we could be missing out on, you know, terrific opportunities to share the gospel because God is, is guiding us in that direction and we're not listening. And that was what I took away from this movie is, is that Harriet was a person who a lot of people thought was crazy because she claimed to, to have visions of God, that God gave her visions of things. She literally prophesied the civil war before it happened. 
And that was in the movie. But from what I could see in the documentaries, it, they said that three years before the Civil War happened, she had prophesied it. So it, mm. this is something that God does speak to people. And some people have the gift of hearing his voice. And we just have to be careful because our world is so full of false teachers. We have to be careful that we come, like you said, test the spirits, make sure that what they are telling us is scriptural. Because if that what they're telling us is not scriptural, then we know that the spirit that is speaking to them is not the spirit of God. And prophets, most of the day, most of today are, you know, pastors who speak directly from scripture. But I don't discount that God can take an illiterate person and speak to them, you know, because oh, their mind yeah. is not clouded by all of the world that they're, <laughs> I think, a little bit more open I think that education sometimes even taints our pastors. I mean, they can go to, you know, eight years of university and, and get their heads stuffed full of theology the way man wants to teach it. And they're, they cease to listen to God. I think we probably even have quite a few pastors, pastoring churches who really have never heard God's voice in their hearts and are yeah. speaking from. That's a little scary. It is scary, but I think it, it's easy to see in the denominational fights that we have, you know, the, the churches that are fighting over women, whether women should be preaching and whether uh, gays should be allowed to marry in their churches. And, you know, all these things that are very obvious from scripture that we shouldn't be doing them, but yet they're arguing over it. And it's like, uh, are you listening to the voice of God? Or are you listening to the voice of this world? Because you're, you're obviously a little mixed up. And uh, yeah, but that is where we are in our cult culture today is that we have too many people listening to the world and not enough people being sensitive to the voice of God in their in their hearts and in their spirit and in their mind and letting that direct their paths because what where the spirit was directing Harriet was not a safe place. I mean, he, he obviously protected her. She never lost a slave as she conducted on the Underground Railroad. She never lost a slave. She was had probably one of the best records for that. But it was because God God directed her paths, but he didn't direct her to safety. He directed her through a lot of really bad circumstances, and she just followed him. Yeah. So, And e even the, the difficulties that she faced, it was a gift from God because it, it uh, what is it, uh, Philippians 129? Uh, this is the NIV version for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Mm -hmm. And we, we know that the suffering that we endure as Christians works in our favor. It works to, to build us in Christ. Yeah. 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 And I, and I'm fighting really hard not to, not to whip out Romans eight twenty eight here. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more we could say about this. Uh, one thing that we can just, you know, to cap it off, Harriet Tubman didn't stop after the Civil War. She opened, she bought a house and took in aged slave, uh, aged freed slaves and, and cared for them in the later years of her life. Um, she mm -hmm. uh, stood up very strongly for women's suffrage and she uh, ca campaigned for women to have the right to vote so that women would not be slaves either in, in our yeah. in our new world and uh, she was a, a major hero in all the things that she did in her life and uh, a beautiful person who gave god the glory for all she did and this movie portrayed that well 
I mean, when it comes down to it, this movie did a good job of yeah. portraying that. Yeah, it's. I think you had mentioned at the very beginning of the this episode that that entire classes were going to see this, and I think this movie. I think this movie is worthy of that kind of attention, mm-hmm. which is really very high praise. <laughs> yeah. Hi, this is Andrew Rappaport, the host of Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report. That's rap with two P's, because if you only use one P, you're going to get one about rap music, and that's not me. I got to tell you, this is a treat. I have been listening to Are You Just Watching? And for those who know me know that's kind of bizarre, because I'm not a movie goer. But I will admit that listening to this podcast has gotten me to watch more than a couple of movies Because I was just curious after listening to the discussion. And so I don't mind spoilers. But I got to go and see a movie before it airs. And that is the new movie coming out about Fred Rogers, as many know him as Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We got to go see a pre-screening. And Eve said that it'd be neat for me, the non-movie goer, to, (laughs) to give a review. Folks, you don't know how strange it is to think about me going and watching a movie. But the thing is, is that I thought this was a very interesting movie. I'm not going to spill the beans and give you spoilers, but it was really based off of one magazine writer who had to do a piece on Fred Rogers. And he wrote this piece for Esquire magazine many years ago. And I guess the movie's based off of that piece. So it's it's much about his life as much as it is about Mr. Rogers. It's really about the character of the man of Fred Rogers. They put some references in to him praying and his background as a Christian. Not too much, but they did have some. And it really showed you a man who, at least from the way they depict it, really cared for whoever he was talking to. I'll say this about the movie. It makes you realize that none of us are really good encouragers as much as we could be. It seems, if accurate, that Fred Rogers was a man who wasn't just someone that tried to encourage people on TV, but was a man who always was encouraging people, whoever he met, and would always take time to spend with who's ever in front of him. It seemed that that was really what they wanted to portray about him. As I said, much of the movie was more about this reporter and his relationship that was developed with Mr. Rogers. So it wasn't so much about the TV show, but it does bring you back in time if you did watch that show. But I think it was really encouraging for people to see and to think about, you know what? We live in a world where it's not too nice out anymore. And it would be good to have more people being like that and being more encouraging. I can't speak to the background of his his church background. I don't really know. There's rumor he was a a Baptist, but but they didn't really emphasize a lot of that, though, from what I understand, it did play a lot into who he was as an individual. And so I think that this is an encouraging movie to go check out. Now, I'm sure that you'll get a much better review from Eve and Tim when they go to see this if they do and they'll give you all the background that I can't give because I just went and watched it with my wife and went oh this was neat 
okay. <laughs> so, but then again, I'm a guy whose first Marvel movie that I saw was Endgame. And Eve told me that wasn't the one I was supposed to start on. I guess that explains why I didn't watch or understand anything about the plot of that movie. So keep listening to Are You Just Watching? Because, well, usually I'm not just watching because I'm not watching at all. But this podcast gets me encouraged to watch a whole lot more. But I'm way more educated when I do go to watch. So are you just watching? Well, if you have enjoyed this podcast, we would hope that you would support our podcast. Uh, We had a one gift supporter who gave us $5 for the month of November. His name was Josh David Schill. Uh, He left. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, he uh, left Patreon as soon as he gave the gift. So I don't know whether Patreon made him angry or we made him angry, but we thank you for your $5 gift. And if there's some other way that you would wish to support us, please let us know. You can uh, go and actually interact with us. If you go to community at areyoujustwatching.com, that takes you to our Facebook discussion page or discussion group, I should say. And uh, that'll allow you to interact with us. And really people out there, if our method of taking support through Patreon is a problem for you, please let us know and we'll explore other options yeah there's other ways that we can can get money so if if you want to support us and patreon is not your preferred method then please let us know uh how we can what we can set up to make that uh, available to you uh we do want to thank our our current patrons craig hardy stephen brown the second and peter chapman for their very generous support um they these are all three of them have been supporting us for a long time and we really appreciate it and we could use more financial support we are uh, not even reaching our monthly goal and it would be helpful to us if more people would be willing to step forward and support us at patreon.com slash are you just watching you know we'd love suggestions on how we can reward our uh, supporters as well we've talked about doing um, post-recording discussions and even bringing folks in for the discussion uh, we'd love some ideas on what might encourage you to support us. So please jump into the community discussion on Facebook and, and uh, hit us up in, in Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. Give us some feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you can also comment on this episode in the show notes, which are at, are you just watching.com slash 98. We're at 98 episodes. To be honest, we actually have more episodes than that because initially we did initial reactions on a different numbering schedule. So we have, I yep. believe, over 120 episodes total. But our we're on mm-hmm. track to hit our 100th numbered episode in January. And that's going to be really fun. Looking forward to that. You can call us at 513-818-2959 and leave a voicemail. Or you can send email to feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And audio files are welcome if you want to... Send us something we can play on a future episode. Once again, you can join us on Facebook. Uh, We have a page for the Are You Just Watching that you can follow and and get the notifications when we post new episodes. Or you can subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because we are available on pretty much all of them, I believe. So. And you can follow me on twitter.com slash E. Franklin. And I am at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H. E-P-L-E, also at twitter.com. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you will continue to 
subscribe and listen to our podcast as we are continuing to do this. I, I don't know what our next movie is going to be, but it should be uh, something interesting in December. <laughs> I can promise it won't be a superhero movie. It might be a Star Wars movie. Because I don't think there are any out. Yeah. Well, no, Star Wars is too late for us to do in December. If we did Star Wars, it'd have to be our January yeah. episode. Because I think it comes out right before Christmas. So we'll have to see what's playing and or if we want to do a DVD or something like that. And we take suggestions. Yep. So if you guys have any uh, thoughts as to what you would like us to do in December, feel free to send us a suggestion. So, all right, that wraps it up. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. <laughs>